lovely to see you guys here tonight. We're going to be in Matthew 2 again, and we're going to be rounding out the rest of this chapter tonight. Um, so, we'll start by praying. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak in such depth through your word. And so we invite you as we dig into your word, just to come and speak to us, reveal things to us, and uh, show us more of your heart. Amen. Okay, well, tonight we are uh, going to be diving into the story, uh, starting at verse 13 of chapter 2. Entitled, The Escape to Egypt. So I'm just going to read it for us now. So it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, did I get that right? You got it right. Perfect. Nailed it. Was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay. So good. It's good. There's a lot of stuff here. Again, there's always a lot of stuff. It's always very dense when you really get into it. Um, So if we start here, Gordon, um, our starting point is an angel of the Lord appeared. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, We were talking today about how it's interesting that Joseph is the dreamer. Mary Mary gets the like the daytime visitations from the angel. Joseph seems to be the dreamer, much like his uh counterpart in Genesis. Not much more to be said, I guess, in uh in links between them. Uh but this Angel of the Lord character is an interesting one. Uh I know it gets referred to a lot um through the Old Testament, the Angel of the Lord. What is the Angel of the Lord? Are we talking about an angel? Are we talking about the Lord? Some people say it's Jesus. Uh, are we talking just about a captain of angels? What What is happening here? Yeah. Yeah, The uh, this whole idea. I think many people, especially in the Old Testament, w- uh, would try to see you know the angel showing up as being not just any old angel, but uh, really it's an appearing of the Christ before he's... 
incarnated and uh i usually resist that because there's no there's no indication that uh any of those uh, those uh those you know appearings or any of those angels are anything other than an angel however the phrase the angel of the lord is used in two ways uh, if you remember the the greek word for angel angelos and the hebrew word which is uh, malak uh, they both really just mean messenger we have this idea about angel as this thing but they're really messengers and uh actually in matthew they the 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 angel an angel occurs six times and it's only in the birth events of jesus and when he's resurrected so it's kind of like at the beginning and the end it's like ah, bookends book ending, yeah. uh, where he shows up but uh, so, so overall, this idea of the angel of the Lord is generally just the idea that God sends a messenger, uh, obviously not a human messenger, but he sends a messenger uh, to to talk for him. I got a message, I want you to do it. Everybody understood what that was like, in a sense, because kings send messengers places. But there are moments in which that angel of the Lord seems to be much more than just an angel. It seems to be it's as if God is not at a distance, but he's actually drawn closer. I think we talked about this somewhere else, where it's almost like he comes to embody the angel and is speaking directly through the angel. And you really only get that sense, depending on when you're uh, on the, the, the language that's being, you know, when you're reading the scripture, whether it seems like the, the Lord himself is very, very close and embodying that angel, or whether he's at a distance and have just sent the angel. But here it's really, it just looks like an angel. Angel has been sent, and uh, it's certainly not a Christophany, an appearing of Christ, because you can't really have the second person of the Trinity in angelic form and also as a baby at the same time. So that would be him. awkward. How does that work? party trick, wouldn't it? That's right. Look wow, out. that's... that's I've not thought of that before because I, I've heard many times that the angel of the Lord is a Christophany. It's the idea that Jesus is appearing ahead of his time and coming mm. and revealing Yahweh to uh, to whoever he's speaking to. But I've not thought about it that in this instance, uh, Joseph is probably in the same room as, uh, you know, maybe Mary and, and Jesus are asleep and Joseph's having this encounter with That's the angel right. of the Lord. It's not his son. That's right. Astral projecting himself into yeah. <laughs> his consciousness or something. Yes. No. Okay. All right. So it's an angel. We're, hap- we're happy with that. It's, a, it's an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. Um, that's cool. And he comes with a dream. And this uh, this is interesting, isn't it? There's there's lots of dreams in this early early sequence in in Matthew. Yeah, in fact, it's it's kind of similar that dreams uh, occur in Matthew. Uh, well, the term is uh, uh, on uh, onar, and it occurs again seven times, but all of them occur in Matthew, except for Acts two seventeen, and even even in Acts two seventeen, which is a quote of Joel, it uses a different word. So uh, dreams, big deal in Matthew, but not anywhere else really in, in the uh, in the New Testament. And and the and this word dream occurs again at the beginning, and also at the death of Jesus. So it's not even uh, again you don't see dreams in the middle of the Jesus story itself. And uh, the one at the end, of course, is is uh, going to be Herod's. Uh, excuse me, not Herod, but Pilate's wife, who says, I've suffered greatly yeah. uh, in a dream because of this man, so don't have anything to do with him. Mm. So dreams are, dreams were, 
they were uh, um, they were respected. You know, uh, if we if we have a dream about something, you know, you might tell somebody about a dream and everybody laughs. Oh, you were you know you were naked. Ha, huh, that's funny. Um, but they took you know they took them seriously. Right. Well, that's an interesting point because uh, it seems to be that the idea of dreams has changed drastically through history. Mm. And I guess when we get to the, you know, people like Freud and Jung and they're starting to pick apart and we have psychoanalysis, that really changed how people started thinking about dreams. Yes. And we have this change from uh, dreams being from uh, the outside in to now modern society thinks that dreams are just the inside manifesting outwardly. That's right, yeah. That's so different. And, and obviously, like, we have um, a biblical worldview, hopefully. Yeah. And so we understand that God is, speaks through dreams. How, but how would, how would people in the ancient world, how would they, you know, if they have, would they treat every dream like uh, this is definitely God speaking? Do we have any indication of how, how the ancient people would have... Yeah, they they uh, of course they were looking for everything had to do with the gods and spiritual matters. So they're they're always looking for those things. And dreams would have fallen into the whole same category as other ways of divining the future or what's wrong with you, etc. So, uh, but but often they're seen as the least reliable way of divining what's going on and what's what's happening. And um, you know, even in the in the Bible, there's certain certain places where uh, the prophets are really kind of run down because their dreams are just, you know, they're 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 not they're not really from God. Uh, and there's this great quote from Sirach, who's a sort of in between the Old and New Testament. He says, "Dreams have led many astray and ruined those who put their hopes on them." Ooh. Such delusions can add nothing to the completeness of the law. The wisdom spoken by the faithful is complete in itself. So he's really saying, you know what? Don't don't be depending on dreams because you can go way wrong. They're not, you know, the, the the Torah, the law is way more sure way to to uh, gain life. So there's a, there's kind of a paradox in a way because there's some even even biblically and in God's people, there's a kind of mm, I don't know, but it's pretty clear. You know, when you come to Daniel and Joseph, well, dreams were big deals. And yeah, and because of that, uh, they probably gained a little bit of relevance up up until, you know, up into the, the time of Jesus. And of course, the Greeks were all about dreams and those kinds of things. Mm. So they there was kind of a... Uh, they, they, they did believe that they were from the divine world, but not always dependable. Right. And right. I guess in the ancient world, maybe not in Judaism, but in the ancient world, in Greek, uh, Roman religion, there's the idea of gods, but not all of them are up to good. Some of them are up to mischief. And That's so right. I wonder if there's a... Yeah. Some but I, I think I think your observation is really good, actually, that, uh, you know, with the coming of the Enlightenment and on until you get to Freud and Jung, etc., and that whole psychoanalytic thing, then, then the perception changes... And I wonder if now uh, there's there's a little bit of folding back into that. Well, the spirit world, you know, there's there's more openness to the spirit world now than there was, say, fifty years ago. Yeah. So there may be an, uh, th- that th- there may be an openness now to that again as being something important from the outside. Yeah, and and I guess either way, you know, whether you think that 
most dreams are pizza dreams or whether you think that every dream is, is spiritual. I think everyone knows when they have a very significant dream, yeah, right? Generally. If, if yeah. a dream really bothers us, we know to pay attention to it. Uh, and I imagine if the angel of the Lord shows up to you in a dream, you pay attention to it. Yes. Uh, and so Joseph does and takes the family to Egypt. And I like how the writer just casually says, uh, you know, they, they up sticks and they moved on down to Egypt. Um, as an immigrant myself, that raises questions in me. And so I, you know, immediately I'm like, well, how, how do they do that? Can you just wander between countries? Uh, are there borders? Are you going to get stopped and asked, what are you doing here? Get out of here. How do they work? You know, what would it, what would it have been like for, for, for Joseph taking his family down to Egypt? Yeah, that's a great question. This is not um, something I'm highly familiar with, but I do know that Egypt, well, first of all, Egypt is the traditional place that you go when there's difficulty. And you see this with uh, Joseph going there. You see this with uh, his brothers. There's a famine. That's where you go. And you see it with Abraham, Isaac. The traditional place you go when there are famine is you go to Egypt. So there's a whole... um, you know, history, both biblically and otherwise, of people going to Egypt when there's a problem. And it was a Roman province, but it was outside of the control of Herod. So it's kind of a natural place to go. They're probably from Bethlehem, and it's a little tricky to figure this out. They would have had to travel from, you know, they would have probably traveled west to the coast, the coastal plain, and then followed that coastal plain, and there's a road uh, sort of right around the Mediterranean there. It would have been, let's say, you know, roughly something like 200 or 140 miles uh, or, I don't know, 250, 60 kilometers, something like that to a sort of a major spot that is in Egypt. Uh, So that's that's quite a journey when you're doing... That is. Maybe you're doing 20, 30 miles a day. I'm not sure. That would be probably pretty good if they were doing 20 miles a day in the heat with the child. Yeah. And the roads wouldn't have been like our paved roads. <laughs> no, but they would have been well-traveled. Okay. And uh, Egypt... Egypt. So there would have been service stations that they could stop at. <laughs> you know what? I'm not sure. Were there <laughs> oases? I'm not sure. But 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 it was a, you know, it was a well-traveled uh, way. And Egypt was, Egypt was the breadbasket of the... It was the Ukraine... Excuse me, don't say the Ukraine. It was Ukraine of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. Mm. So... Uh, the empire, especially Rome, depended upon Egypt. So there's a lot of wow. uh, a lot of growing action going on, uh, and pro- presumably there would have been quite a bit of trade moving up the coast as well, uh, back and forth. Although a lot a lot of things would have gone by ship as well. So there there probably was quite a bit of back and forth. There would have been uh, security, would have been immigration, but you know it would have been a security uh, detachment maybe at the border and. You know, maybe what what are you doing? But they're probably not worried about passports or visas, uh, but more just, you know, does this person look like they're going to be a problem? Right. So, and there were uh, at least, I think Philo in about AD 40 says there were about a million Jews in Egypt. Really? Yeah. Uh, That's so a huge it's population. It's a huge number. That's right. Wow. So they would have found, if not family, they would have found some sort of affinity yeah yeah wow that's super interesting i'd not clocked that it was still the roman empire i don't know why like in my head i just thought 
pharaohs forever. Yeah. But the Egyptian empire is done by this time, is it? Yeah, pretty much. So a little bit before, of course, uh, I believe by this time, Augustus is the emperor. He was the one who really pulled the the empire back together after a mess. And uh, if you know, and I'm I'm not 100% clear on all the history of the Roman empire, but there was a lot of strife and some of it came to a head concerning Egypt. So you have the whole Cleopatra and Mark Antony. Ah, yes. And you know the you know who you know who am I going to seduce to be on my side? And so yeah, because Egypt the was key. Had been ruling Egypt for a number since of years. Alexander the Great. That's right? right. Yeah. And Rome came in and yeah. Okay. Rome, Rome uh, beat up on on the on the Greeks and gradually took over all the places where the where the Greeks had been. So which included Egypt. Yeah. This is beautiful. I love talking about this in the context of studying scripture because it does inform us of what the worldview is like of people around uh, our characters, right? And yes. when they're speaking, they're speaking in the context of other people having these, you know, having these worldviews. So yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. Um, nice. So they have their they have their travel to Egypt. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> back in Bethlehem, yeah. Herod. Uh, outrageously uh, orders the killing of all the infants in Bethlehem and the vici- vicinity, it says. Yes. Have we got any more, like, historical record of this or...? No. Uh, I, You know, when I view, when I think of this in my head, I think about, you know, a good-sized town, small city, and, you know, hundreds of thousands, no, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of children being killed. But, in fact, Bethlehem was quite small, from all I understand, and uh, likely a dozen. Okay. Which is quite different than, I think, what we all have in our mind. Yeah. So there are 12 kids. It's, of course, it's an outrage. Yeah. There's no sure, doubt about that. Sure. But it's not this massive thing. And on top of it, it's a, uh, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a minor backwater. It's a small town in a backwater Roman province. So uh, it, it would have created no ripples at all historically or otherwise. Uh, and the Roma, the, I think the thing about the Romans is they they probably weren't all that concerned about morality as long as, or, or, or any of these kinds of things, as long as everything was ordered and they didn't have to send troops in and, and you know, there was, they, they were getting their taxes and, you know, goods were flowing to and fro, then they, that's to them was, was being... Somebody was running the place well if that was happening. So the killing of 12 babies in some little town is no big deal to them. Right. So if that happens in Canada today, absolute outrage. Absolutely. You know, it's unthinkable for a, uh, you know, a leader uh, in power to be doing that. That's right. But not that uncommon in the ancient world. Like, I mean, it seems to be the ancient world. They're committing atrocities left, right and center. That's right. Now, now, if you thought about it, if if uh, if we were invaded and taken over by some other power that didn't really care, you know, if it was say Russia, which would be the most likely place or the closest place, well, the media is all under control of you know. So who cares about the backwater province of Canada? You know, that's not the big deal. As long as as long as we get our farm goods and stuff, then then everything's good. So it, you, you could could make the argument that in some places it's just the same yeah you know wow and so we we talked about herod a bit last um in last session uh that he was this puppet king not really a jew 
Would right. would he have been commanding Roman soldiers, or did he not really have that much power? Was he did he have like a his own kind of Jewish or maybe his own people group, some of his own lackeys, shall we call them, uh, doing his dirty work? Yeah, he would have had some of his own troops. It would never have been enough to uh, put Rome out of joint. To, yeah, yeah, to say, hey, wait a minute, you're what are you doing building up that army? So it wouldn't have been that, but he would have had he would have had his own troops probably do this. He probably wouldn't have sent Roman troops to do this. And I'm not sure exactly. Well, it, when he came back and when he conquered the land to become the king for the Romans, he would have had Roman troops. But I'm not really sure how much ongoing uh, command of Roman troops he had. He may have had quite a bit because he was the king. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Well, it's very sad anyway. Um, but Jesus escapes. Uh, we have this reference to uh, Jeremiah uh, I think, yeah, a voice is heard in Rama, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Is that, yeah. um, is that one of the direct biblical uh, references, like Old Testament references? No, it's not. Uh, they call it a fulfillment, but it wouldn't be what we would call a fulfillment in how we view things. It's not a direct prophecy. Likely, uh, this is really, we're talking about if you go back 600 years, uh, this is likely talking about the exile when Jerusalem was taken, uh, destroyed, essentially, uh, 587, 586 BC. And the uh, the Babylonian commander uh, under Nebuchadnezzar would have taken uh, captive. He, he They didn't take everybody, but they took the leaders especially. They took a, a lot of people and took them up to Ramah, which is about five miles or eight kilometers north of Jerusalem. So it's it's on a main road going north to Bethel. They would have taken them to Ramah and then sort of staged them there, got them all together from different places in order to start out then for Babylon and take mm. them to Babylon. Mm. So the, the weeping that's being talked about here, there are a couple of possibilities. One is that we're talking about Rachel as kind of, you know, in, in a sense, the mother of Israel symbolically weeping. Uh because her tomb wasn't very far from there. Uh, I think more likely, and this is just my preference, but it's really ref- partly referring at least to the weeping of the people, because they would have lost family members, they would have been brutalized, and they're losing everything. Mm-hmm. So they, they, would have, uh, they would have been devastated, and you would have heard it. Uh, their ch- many of their children would have been killed as well. I mean, what good is, it? What good is a small child? We, we just need these adults to, to come that we haven't killed to, to work or to be displaced. So so it's not a direct prophecy. It's already actually been fulfilled. Interesting. Uh, yeah. But so, th- so this is another case. We've had them before. This is another case of prophecy not meaning exactly what we think it means today or the way that we apply it today. Exactly. It seems to be this, this use of prophetic texts mm. and there, there are like direct like instances like this is where an event happens and there are other cases where this prophetic text is more of an archetypal story and it's like this is a classic thing like the prophet spoke That's of, right. of a, a nation being uh, or a people group just being in great distress. Yeah. I think when you first look at it, you think, uh, if you know anything about the background, you think, 
Oh, well, he's just pulling this together because, well, they were weep, you know, people were weeping back then and they're weeping here. So, okay, well, that works. But, but really, Jeremiah 31 is interesting because it begins with this sort of oracle of joy, the promise that the Yahweh will bring them back to their land. And then it concludes with, with a, an oracle, a pro- prophecy in which Yahweh does return them from exile and there's a promise of a new covenant. Mm. So the weeping even here is occurring in this context of, you know, exile in a sense is not over, but the exile is about to be over because the Messiah is here. Because wow. uh, they, they would have felt like, yeah, we, you know, our people came back from Babylon but you know, the promise of things is the Davidic messianic kingdom is just injustice is still happening, and it's it's just a bummer. It's not it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the golden age, and we're not even in charge of our own country. And you know, they would still feel somewhat like we're not home. But you know, with Jesus coming, okay, the this exile we're still feeling deep inside of us is it's really going to be over. And Jesus is the one who ends it in this new covenant. Wow. It's interesting that Jesus has been taken into exile as well at this point with Joseph That's right. and Mary. It's like it's a multi-layered cake, this, isn't That's it? That's right. That's right. Wow. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the people are very sad. Uh, they're weeping. Yep. Um, Herod dies. Mm. Hooray! The, oh, yeah. The pantomime villain is finally vanquished. Oh, yeah. And an angel of the Lord. It doesn't say the same angel of the Lord. <laughs> Am I reading? Did, did they rotate? Did they draw straws? It's my turn. <laughs> it's my turn to be the angel <laughs> of the Lord right. today. Appeared in a dream again to Joseph uh, and says, go and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Mm. Um, he speaks to Joseph twice. Um, I find it interesting that... Gabriel appears to Mary. Boom. I'm here to bring you good news. Don't be afraid. Okay. (laughs) Good news. Child is going to be born. A son to you. And he's going to be Emmanuel. You have to give him the name Jesus. Yeah, give him the name Emmanuel, right? Or is it Jesus? Yeah. And uh, this amazing encounter with Mary. And then we, Jesus is born. And now Joseph is getting all the visitations. And doesn't say that they're together in the visitations but interesting yeah it is and uh it is of course luke uh you know luke luke has much more uh, space and focus on uh the people that are disenfranchised with women uh uh, john john does to some extent as well but uh, much more than matthew so it's not surprising in a sense that that there's this quite different uh, scene. And of course, it's not the same necessary message. The, the, uh, we, you know, we were talking earlier about Joseph, and um, Joseph plays a really interesting part in the beginning here, uh, and not for very long. We don't know very much about Joseph, yeah. but he does, he does play a significant part in the life of his son. Um, and Jesus would have been, you know, to, to him and to, to Mary, would have been his son because he is the legal, legal father. So... Uh, but yeah, it's interesting that they that they have revelation, but they don't have it together. No, and um, maybe maybe that's a, a way that it happens for you know most of us. Yeah, I I I know so many people that have had very dramatic encounters with God, and it's interesting that it 
seems to be predominantly a very personal a personal thing. That's right. Yeah, you don't really hear about, you know, a husband and wife and they're reading in bed at night uh, before they go to sleep and suddenly an angel appears at the Ta-da. foot of the bed. Yeah. Ta-da. Yeah. You know, you don't really hear that. Yeah. Every person I know that uh, I, I've heard telling the story of having an angelic visitation has been by themselves. Yeah. Interesting. Angels are shy, man. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Kidding. It's very interesting. Well, he he or she or it, whatever this angel of the Lord is, gives the uh, the instruction to uh, to Joseph, go. Um, so he gets up and takes the child and the mother to the land of Israel. But he hears mm. that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Yes. This is interesting. Having been warned in a dream, <laughs> more revelation coming through there. Obviously, the angel the first time didn't get the whole picture. So was sent back and had to fulfill just the next bit. You know, like you forgot to give that detail. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. He says uh, that they withdrew to the district of Galilee yeah. and went to live in a town called Nazareth. Um, this, is re- this is really important, right? Where we, where we are is really important. And Jesus has these encounters in Jerusalem and Jerusalem is the hub, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Jerusalem is the hub of uh, religion and politics in uh, Israel. It's where the temple was and it's where the temple is that's been rebuilt by Herod, right? That's correct, yeah. So this is a, a major place of significance. If a king or a messiah is going to do anything in Israel, Jerusalem's an important place. That's the one. But But interestingly, Bethlehem was prophesied. For the king. Yeah, yeah. And he was born in Bethlehem, but there's no going back to Bethlehem. <laughs> no. Instead, we go to the district of Galilee to a town called Nazareth. Where was Nazareth? And what does it mean? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, first of all, I think the, the reason they go there is because, you know, everybody's happy that Herod has died. Because, you know, Herod... Herod was I a, feel happy that he's Herod was a bad dude. Yeah, bad dude. Right, and so when he died, people were kind of happy. Probably, probably didn't have a dance in the street, but you know they had they had parties together. Whoa, National and, Day of Mourning. That's, that's right. So sad. So even the people uh, that that had uh, you know were in charge of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran people out in the the Judean desert, they you know they were able to rebuild their community, which had been destroyed by him. So it was a good time. But Archelaus. Uh, so what Herod had instructions about who was going to take over, and the Romans essentially said, "Okay, we'll, yeah, we'll honor that." But they didn't make Archelaus king. Uh, he, they 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 called him an ethnarch, which is a little better than a tetrarch. Don't ask me why, uh, but it's not quite the same as being a king. So he was in charge of Judea, uh, which is sort of the that southern piece, Samaria, which is next and Idumea, which is below Judea. Okay. Uh, and they said they promised him, if you do well, we'll make you a king. And he did not do well. Ah. He was oppressive, and after about 10 years, so he ruled from 4 BC to 6 uh, AD 6. So after about 10 years, they, ban- they, they took him off the throne and they banished him because he was doing a terrible job. So, um, you know, so Joseph uh, is very smart, when he hear yes we're going back and then we're oh no we're not going there because this is no this is not a good deal and then of course there's something about being warned again uh so so on top of that god kind of agrees with yeah let, let, let's not do that so he goes north to nazareth nazareth is um 
again, it's in Galilee, which is in the in the like a northern kind of area prof, um, around the Sea of Galilee to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Um, yeah, it's it's really a nothing place, mm. and in fact, it's it's if you're from Nazareth, people snicker at you because it's a despised place. So going there is is you're 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 not um you're not in the high part of society if you're going to Nazareth right. and if you're coming out of Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. So um that whole I think the you know the, there's that prophecy, you know, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well there's there's no scripture that says that. And probably what's happening there is that because they use the term prophets instead of prophet and it's probably just pulling together a number of uh, Old Testament prophecies that talk about how the the Messiah will not be seen as something awesome; he'd be despised. Uh, and if you remember from John, uh, Nathaniel says, "Can any good thing come out yes, of Nazareth?" Very cheeky, <laughs> very cheeky. Well, he's really telling us what people think, right? So, and it was it was off the major trade route. Is that right? So he moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. In uh, in in the start of his ministry, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Again, Which it's the more not, major place. It's not. It's not a major place. Okay. Uh, it's become a little bit more major place, partly just because Jesus was born there, and now you have tourists. But uh, but it really wasn't at that point. But back in the day, Capernaum would have been on the trade route, right? And Nazareth would have been. It would have been somewhere. off, yes. And the other thing is, Capernaum would have been, um, you know, near the sea more so. Right. What is it? Capernaum is like fish town, really. Right. Right. So it would have been a big trade center as opposed right. to Nazareth, which I'm not sure what was happening there. Probably not very much. Right. So if you have um, trade and you know routes going through, lots of people coming through, um, and contrast that with Nazareth being a backwater, do you think that Nazareth would have been a bit more of a stuffy place, maybe a bit more religious. Am I stretching? Like, is is that? No, I think that I think that's good. I mean, generally, and this is an overstatement, but generally, the more rural a place is, probably the more conservative. Some, you know, right. somebody can come back and correct me on that because I'm not 100 percent sure. But but that would be my impression: is that it's a more conservative place. It has a smaller worldview because it has less ideas floating around less experienced people of you know traveling etc uh they you know he he jesus would have been very uh you know in his worldview he was jewish there was only one god yes uh adherence to judaism was important synagogue you went every week yep. just like people in small towns often at least in canada you know they went to the local church every every week it's it's you know you do that yep. uh he would have he would have counted circumcision to be important and sabbath keeping was important because those are the key markers of being a jew mm. and uh of course family would have been highly important and likely there would have been immediate family and an extended family, but always aware. And you mentioned this a bit earlier, but always aware that South—that's the—that's the Big Apple, right? Yeah. At New York is down there. Right. That's the place. That's where everything's happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, London, New York, whatever. And he probably felt like a bit of a hick in a way. Well, I don't know. If you're in a hick place, do you feel like a hick? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But, but he was no. Uh, he was no slouch when it came to knowing the text, was he? When he, no. By the time he gets to Jerusalem at age 12, whatever happened in that Nazareth synagogue, yeah. 
did him well. Oh yeah, <laughs> he 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 soaked it up really. Yeah. Uh, so there would have been that sense of being a part of the covenant people, and I think because Galilee was really surrounded by many uh, pagan groups, and of course, uh, you know, Galilee is also seen as a bit of a hotbed of revolution as well. Hmm. Uh, there, you know, the the Jewish people had struggled for centuries under uh, foreign occupation. So the Greeks, and they would have left a legacy of Hellenistic thought. You know, the body is important in wrestling and gym, gymnastics and multiple gods. And, you know, and it was a, it was a, it was a killer to them. It, they, they hated it. Uh, and those people, you know, those people are over there across the river in those, those cities. And they're up there in that, that place up there. Uh, you know, so they, and then of course there was a brief independence uh, for about a hundred years, but it wasn't all that great. And the Romans came and conquered. So you still have the same kind of thing. So there would have been a natural kind of antipathy to the foreigners, uh, Gentiles. Yeah. Amazing. So if we take, um, we take this whole um, early passage, what's, uh, what's the writer really trying to tell us? What's the summation of, of all of this? We've got Magi coming to visit. We've got a crazy king. We've got, angels and dreams we've got this mini little exodus well not an exodus because they're an exile into uh into egypt and, and coming back again what's the setup here yeah. what's the i think you're, i think you're right not only an exile uh, and the end of exile but also a bit of an exodus hmm. uh, because there is that passage um the, the quote out of egypt i called my son from hosea 11 and and really uh you know, in in a way, there's probably several things that are happening, but really, uh, Jesus is is kind of encapsulating uh, and recapitulating the the story of Israel. You know, in, uh, in exile, coming out of exile, or excuse me, Exodus, coming out of that, uh, and also being the one who's going to end this this time of exile. So it's a very it's a very hopeful picture, and I and obviously there's there's the whole theme of divine protection for Jesus. He's at the, I mean, he never could really defend himself, but as a child, he's especially vulnerable. Yeah. So there's a whole angelic, you know, protection. And if you think about it, angels often showed up in the Old Testament when uh, a special child was born, such as Samson. Mm. Uh, you know, so so Jesus is coming with the right kind of signs. Uh, he's going to be something special. And uh, Luke tells it, of course, a different way, and we'll talk about that. But, but this whole uh, Jesus, in a sense, uh, symbolizing Israel and recapitulating the story of Israel, uh, it's going, to, it's going to be good, and uh, there's going to be an end. the The final thing they're looking for, even though it'll look different, is is embodied in Jesus and will occur in Jesus. Wow. Well, Gordon, would you be up for praying for us? I would love to do that. Yes, please do. Yeah, let's do this. So, um, Father, thank you so much for your words. These are just brilliant and brilliant stories and how you've, uh, and, and the reality is brilliant, how you've, um, you've brought everything to a point, everything you intended uh, in the story of, of Israel uh, and everything that's happened to it has now come to this point in Jesus. And, um, for many of us, even just like they, we, we've, uh, we felt like we're not in our own skin. Sometimes we feel like we're, we're just, we're just not in the right place. That life is not the way it's supposed to be. 
and we're not wrong. Uh, we feel dislocated in the world uh, that we live in, and even sometimes in our own bodies. Uh, you know, felt wronged and hurt, and uh, un- injustice has come to us. But uh, but Jesus brings us hope, and will you bring that sense to us uh, of Jesus afresh, that with him, um, everything can be made new again, and that we can pass through the fire, and that we can pass through these moments, and that there will be that moment of of renewal uh, that will um, make us alive, will make us feel so alive, because we will be alive. And um, Lord, let us um, lead us again to have faith in your Son, uh, who is better uh, than anybody we know. Why don't we just let um, let God just speak to us uh, for a moment? If we just uh, are quiet and just listen and see if there's something He actually wants to say to us, we'll just give thirty seconds or so. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Amen.